we begin with a puzzle. In the last episode, we met John the Baptizer on the shores of the River Jordan, heralding Jesus' arrival. And now, in the middle of Matthew's Gospel, we find John imprisoned by King Herod. Jesus has begun his public ministry, healing and teaching and drawing crowds. And John sends an emissary to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? And so, of course, Jesus says, Absolutely. Yes, I am the Messiah, the one you're waiting for. The wait is over. Thanks for asking. Have a nice day. Mm, No, that's not what Jesus says. Not even close. What he says is, go and tell John what you hear and see. The healings, the resulting hallelujahs, the good news being declared to the poor. In a word, the joy. Go and tell John about the joy the delight, the celebration. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, why does Jesus answer this way? I mean, it is an answer. He's not hiding who he is, but it seems unnecessarily coy or indirect. You know, why not just answer directly? Yes, I am the one who is to come. That's effectively what he's saying, right? By pointing to the signs of restoration and joy. So why not just come right out and say it? Why the song and dance about hearing and seeing and signs and good news? As it turns out, Jesus is being direct. Quite direct, actually. It's just that he's not primarily interested in who he is, but rather in helping us become who we are. I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. In an interview, Mary Oliver was once asked, What is a poem? And her answer is really quite something. What she doesn't say is that a poem is language that rhymes or is written in verse or looks such and so or sounds such and so. Instead, she answers by referring to her practice of regularly walking in the province lands, the woods and ponds and dunes just north of Provincetown where she lived, walking and hearing and seeing, always with a notebook and a pencil close at hand for when poetic inspiration would strike. She calls this walking practice, my method of attention and investigation. That's an interesting phrase. She goes on, people want to go and be amazed by places like Alaska, but they don't know what's going on in their own backyards. Neither do they find things to honor and to amaze them in their own backyard. That's why I like to go to places like the old burn dump. There's plenty there. There's plenty everywhere. And I like to investigate over and over the same place. Somebody once said, where would you like to go, Mary? Would you like to go to Wyoming? And I said, no. I'd like to walk around Beach Forest in the province lands one more time, because that's my method for attention and investigation, to make sure that the place I'm in 
is not prosaic. I mean, how I perceive it is not prosaic. Well, that's a really interesting answer to the question, what is a poem? Oliver is saying, in effect, that a poem, writing a poem or reading one or reciting one, is a method, a practice, a means of attending and investigating, a way to pay attention and discover and find things to honor and to amaze us in our own backyards. She walks around familiar places, ordinary places, the old burn dump or beach forest, just a 20-minute walk from where she lived. There's plenty there. There's plenty everywhere. But here's the kicker. She says this attending and investigating is for the sake of making sure that the place she's in, or her perception of the place she's in, is not prosaic. In other words, to make sure she's aware and alive to the fact that the place she's in is a poem, a poesis, a making, that creation is just that, a creation, a work of art, that we're inside, that we're part of. We lose track of this all the time, of course. We overlook it, we forget it, but it's right there, ready when we are. And poems, good poems, help us to be ready, ready to perceive and receive and honor and be amazed by our own backyards. For Mary Oliver, engaging with poems, writing them or reading them, is a method of remembering, helping us to notice and honor and marvel at the poem we're living in, the poem all around us every day. Once you know this basic idea in Oliver's thinking, you can find it everywhere in her work. Take the poem Thirst, for example, which begins, Another morning and I wake with thirst for the goodness I do not have. I walk out to the pond and all the way God has given us such beautiful lessons. O Lord, love for the earth and love for you are having such a long conversation in my heart. Or again, her poem, Mindful, where she puts the point this way. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations the untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. The little poems, the written ones, writing them and reading them, are for helping us to hear and to see the great poem, the poesis of creation 
in which we live and move and have our being. And sure enough, the seasons of Advent and Christmas are for just this kind of attending and investigating. Yes, the days are getting shorter, the shadows are gathering, winter is coming, the cold is setting in, the sorrows and the sighing encroach. The causes for fear, the good causes, the understandable causes, the temptation to despair, the grim wages of conflict and war, the heartbreaking number of broken hearts. Yes, it's all true. But for those very reasons, precisely now, in this season, now is the time to sharpen our skills of attention and investigation, even and especially among the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations, to find and to study what Oliver calls the beautiful lessons, to lose ourselves inside this soft world, to hear and to see and to be instructed over and over in joy and acclamation. Joy in the midst of sorrows. That, in a phrase, is the essence of Christmas. And joy, after all, is not happiness. It's not a mood. Now we're happy, now we're sad. Joy is something deeper and wider. Joy isn't something merely inside us like a mood, but rather is something we find ourselves inside, like a celebration or a swirl of the heavenly host all around us, shepherds on a lonely hillside in the middle of the night. Even the word enjoy gives us a clue. En or in joy. We never say en happy your day or en content your day. Happiness and contentment are inside us. But we do say enjoy your day. Joy is something we are inside. Something larger that we're part of, that we participate in. And that brings us back to Jesus and Matthew's puzzling story. John the baptizer asks the question, are you the one? And Jesus refocuses the question away from himself and toward the bigger picture. In effect, calling us to widen the frame, to attend and investigate, and thereby to take up the posture of humanity, of God's children, to hear and to see and be instructed in joy and acclamation. It's as if Jesus says, the question really isn't, am I the one? The question is, has the time arrived? Is the new day, the long-promised redemption, the reign of heaven beginning to dawn? Don't focus so much on me as on the signs of revival and abundance that you hear and see, even in the places you least expect them. The signs of the new era that I've come to proclaim. The reign of heaven is at hand. The day the prophet and poet Isaiah spoke of so many years ago, 
The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. That's how Isaiah puts it. And for Jesus, that's the lens through which we should look, like a pair of eyeglasses. In other words, for Jesus, Scripture is something through which we can experience the world. That's one of the things that the Bible is for. Look around you. What do you see? What signs of life, of hope, of peace, of joy? This isn't about one person arriving. This is about a new day dawning. A day Jesus comes to herald and inaugurate, that's true, but the point is the dawning day, the blooming desert, the rousing dawn chorus declaring the good news of what's begun and what's yet to come. After all, Birds sing not only for territorial reasons or for mating reasons. Some scientists believe birds also sing for the sake of delight. Charles Darwin, for example, wrote that birds sing for their own amusement. A third reason for the chorus, then, may be just that. Birds sing because it gives them joy. The same is true for us, of course. Singing in general, and singing with others in particular, has been shown to reduce stress and increase feelings of trust and gladness. Not least, no doubt, because to sing in a group is a vivid, stirring experience of being inside, of participating in a larger, unfolding work of art. And doing it well requires paying close attention to the poesis going on around us, the melodies and harmonies, the breathing and the tempo of the whole choir. Expand that image out to the great choir of creation, and there you have it, the deeply human and humanizing posture that Mary Oliver invites us into with her morning walk that Isaiah invites us into with his blooming desert, and that Jesus invites us into with his answer that cuts right to the heart of things. Tell John what you hear and see. Tell John about the joy. It's like what Oliver says in another poem, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. It's not just good advice, it's a way of life. The little poems helping us to honor and to be astonished by the great poem, the poesis as near as our own backyard and as wide as the cosmos itself. There's a poem by E.E. Cummings called Christmas Poem. It begins with the universe in a kind of joyful dance, and from spiraling ecstatically this proud nowhere of Earth's most prodigious night blossoms a newborn babe. For Cummings, Christmas is about this newborn babe, of course, but you can't really tell the story of this child, this Emmanuel, God with us, without beginning with the spinning, spiraling stars 
and the prodigious night, and the blossom that comes in the midst of that night, and in the midst of that ecstatic, joyful choreography. The child is exquisitely vulnerable and also unimaginably strong. The grim, vacant forces of mind without soul are powerless to stand in the way. Here's Cummings. Mind without soul may blast some universe to might have been and stop 10,000 stars, but not one heartbeat of this child. Nor shall even prevail a million questionings against the silence of his mother's smile, whose only secret all creation sings. At its best, Christmas reconnects us to this ongoing cosmic joy, this song that all creation sings, the secret of Mary's smile. She was a poet too, you know. The Magnificat is her masterpiece, a song of anticipatory joy and acclamation of God lifting up the lowly, the ordinary, even what some would call the very drab, and bringing down the mighty from their thrones. We may live in a desert of sorrows and sighing, no doubt about that. Tonight may be one of the longest, coldest nights of the year. But look, listen, let us tell one another what we hear and see, and thereby step up and step into who we really are, children of God, singing with the desert crocuses below and the spiraling stars above, singing with Isaiah and with Mary and with Jesus and with Oliver and with Cummings and with the poet Isaac Watts, the writer of Joy to the World, that Christmas carol, that Advent carol, if there ever was one. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Strange New World is a SALT Project production written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer Bolton. Music is by Pablo J. Garman, Blue Dot Sessions, and Epidemic Sound. If you like what you hear, spread the word and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find us. And if you want to go deeper, SALT has downloadable devotionals based on Mary Oliver's poetry, E.E. E. Cummings' poetry, and The Wonders of Birds. You can check out all three at saltproject.org. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.